0: Yes, yes, oh man, I love it. Keep it going, keep it going for him, please. Please, I was saying, standing back there, the drums oh, just beating my chest. It was so awesome, thank you. Aren't we blessed to have such talented individuals give of their time to the point church? It's so awesome. Well, good morning. Um, Some of you might be thinking, who's this guy? Where's Caleb? Where's Todd? Where's Josh? Where's Noah? Well, they're coming back. Caleb will be here next week. Uh, but my name is Steve Case. Um, and just to tell you a little bit about myself, uh, my, my wife, Karen, our kids and I, uh, we've called the Point Church home since 2012. Um, I was actually baptized right over here in, I think, what was a cattle trough back then in 2013. We've we've upgraded a little bit since. Um, my wife and I, we've probably served in, in every possible area of the church you can. I I used to lead a Monday night men's, men's group here at the church, which I'm thinking about. God's kind of put prompting me, should, should we bring that back? Yeah. I'm thinking so. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so come to me, talk to me. I think, I think we might do that. Uh, and then I also uh, served on staff as the Grow Group director before the church realized that Deanna Anders could do a way better job than I could. Um, so at that point back in 2018, I shifted over. Don't woo me getting booted <laughs> off staff. My gosh. <laughs> In, in 2018, though, I moved over to serve on the board, and uh, it's been a while. I, I used to kind of have an opportunity to, to come in, and uh, speak on a message God's put on my heart maybe four to six times a year, um, but this is my first time back in a while. And I'm so thankful that, that Caleb and the guys would uh, add me into the rotation, um, and it's, it's just a lot of fun. I'm also excited, though, because, like Deanna said, this is Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday is its a time of celebration, right? And, and what exactly is it? This is, the, this is a, a celebration of the time that Jesus triumphantly entered into Jerusalem to fulfill prophecy. But not only that, to, to really, for the first time, publicly demonstrate to all of the Israelites that he is the king. And, and the Bible tells us in, in John 12... That, that when Jesus is riding the donkey into, the, into Jerusalem, all the people who had gathered for the festival, they took palm branches. That's why it's called Palm Sunday. Palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, which means, Lord, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. So this is a time where we celebrate Jesus entering Jerusalem and as the King of Israel. The other thing I have to tell you is if you look at, if you break it down, that, the time that he did that, the time that he wrote into Israel, was 11 a.m. on Palm Sunday. Uh, a friend of mine years ago created an app called Easter Now. Easter Now. Write that down in your message notes. Get your cell phone out. Download this app, Easter Now. Because what you can do is you can look at that app, and it will give you notifications, and it will tell you, this is what Jesus is doing at this time on this day, this week. And you can walk with Jesus all week long. Uh, It's such an awesome app. It's so awesome to talk through with kids and things like that, but it starts at 11 a.m. That's what Palm Sunday is. This is a time to celebrate. Now, I'm also excited because this is also a time where we're continuing this Rescued series. And I got to tell you, if if this is your first time here, you you picked a great time to be here and just welcome. And and this has been such an awesome series to walk through the New Testament and very specifically the few instances in the New Testament, where it's recorded that Jesus laid down. That seems so strange, so trivial, right? It's something that all of us do. But in the Bible, no word is wasted. Every word has meaning. And so it really begs the question, why? Why did God feel it necessary to tell us about these few instances where Jesus laid down? And so it's been awesome over the past few weeks to hear Noah Talk about Jesus laying in the manger and how that shows God's love for us, right? Uh, Then Caleb talked to us about when Jesus laid down on the boat on the Sea of Galilee during the storm and how it shows us the path to true peace. And, And then Todd came in last week and he talked about being rescued in the sense of Jesus at the Last Supper laying down, showing us what it means to be a true servant and rescuing those in need. And this week, we're going to talk about the last time, the final time it's recorded that Jesus laid down, and that's in the tomb, okay? Now, not to make light of the situation or anything like that, but I kind of feel a little bit like Olaf. Anybody know Frozen? Right? Frozen 1, Frozen 2, right? Uh, You know, we have an eight, a four, and a two-year-old, so my wife and I, we've probably seen Frozen 1, oh, I don't know, about 1,300 times. Uh, Frozen 2, about 800 times. And Olaf is, if you haven't seen it, where have you been? But uh, <laughs> Olaf is this, this little talking snowman, right? And he's comic relief. And in Frozen 2, he gives this like two-minute synopsis of everything that happened in Frozen 1, right? He said, it began with two sisters. Anna, No! well, at least they have their parents. Their parents are dead, right? And, and I do, I, I recognize the irony here that I'm telling you that today is a day of celebration. It's Palm Sunday, a day that we celebrate the king triumphantly entering Israel or Jerusalem, but yet I'm gonna talk about his burial, his death. But again, I do feel like as Christians, you know, this is, this is the start of our holy week, our passion week. And a lot of times we, we talk about Jesus entering Jerusalem. We talk about everything that he did in the temple and around Jerusalem that week, leading up to his journey to the cross and his ultimate resurrection. But every word has meaning, right? And so what I want to unpack is, is what is the Bible, what is God trying to tell us when he's talking about the burial? Now, before we get into that, though, I, I did want to talk about, there's, there's been one overarching theme of this rescued series that really God has convicted me on and, and the fact is that all of us at some point in time doing something not doing something we need to be rescued we need to be rescued from ourselves and and that's what God is and that's what God does but so often we get caught up in the busyness of life right? We get caught up in the distractions of going from here to there, doing this to that, the schedule on our calendar, everything we have to do. And one of the things that's been most convicting to me is if Jesus, the Son of God, who was perfect in every way, who healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, cast out demons, made, or restored uh, walking to paralytics, and, and resurrected the dead, If even Jesus felt it necessary to take a break, to rest, to relax, to lay down, to get into quiet solitude, you know what? It's okay for us to do that too. And think about the world we live in. I don't know if you're like me, but we live in a world where we are constantly distracting ourselves. We have our cell phones in front of us, social media, podcasts, Uh, YouTube, right? The busyness of work and, and everything else. Are we really leaving time for God's promptings in our life? Are we leaving time for that moment where we need to be rescued? Now, some of you, you have created perfect habits you have created those routines and those habits. Some of you might even have like a prayer room or a designated space in your home that specifically sets aside time and place for God. And that's what God calls us to do. In, in Matthew 5, 6, Jesus tells us, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you, Right? Now, the first part of that verse, Jesus is really telling us, don't be hypocrites. Don't pray for the wrong reason. Don't pray publicly for attention or anything like that. But the last part of that book is he's saying, get away from the world, get away from distraction, and just be with God. Now, if you've developed that routine and you have that practice, share it with others. Share how you developed that habit with others. Because because some folks, like me, we get caught up in that busyness. And I'll be honest and I'll be frank, like the conviction for me is it's self-importance. That's what it amounts to, right? My wife, whenever we have something at, like going on at work and I'm on, I'm on my phone at 7 p.m., which, you know, the work I do is, is not that significant. And she says, did someone die, <laughs> right? <laughs> because again, it's not that important. It's my own self-importance and we need to leave time. But if you're one of those people that, that is like me and you're not leaving that time, you know, maybe it is those quiet spaces, those, those, those fleeting moments of quietness where, where God's prompting comes in. And you got to save room for that. Is it driving in your car where you shut off the radio, you shut off the podcast, and it's just you and God? Is it in the shower? You ever have that where you're in the shower and the water's hitting your neck, eyes closed, and you have that, that moment of epiphany or that moment of prompting? For me, when I get caught up in myself, and God weaves his way in, it's a lot of times when I'm laying down in bed, right? Actually, think about how God designed us. When you lay down in bed, there's a moment in time when you're about to fall asleep. It's called the hypnagogic state. Remember that word, hypnagogic, all right? Hypnagogic state. It is you're not awake, but you're not asleep. But all of your consciousness, all of your thoughts, all of your mental filters fall away. Have you ever had that, where you're right there, and all of a sudden you jolt awake, and you have this prompting or this this epiphany that hits you? You know, um, one of them that happened to me, and it was life changing. I, I will tell you, is uh, when I was 20 years old. Um, I had I had got home from break at school, and had dinner with family, the family and, and went and laid down in my waterbed. Huh? Remember those? Let's bring back waterbeds, huh? Yeah. And I laid down my waterbed about midnight. And, and I should tell you, so I was in college and I had broken up with my high school sweetheart three months earlier. And... And I lay down, but I really hadn't thought about her because I, the reason I broke up is I wanted, I wanted to live the college life, right? I don't need to elaborate on that, but, but I wanted to be selfish. I wanted to experience college, right? And I laid down in bed, and I'm, and I'm right there, and I jolt awake with this, this sudden prompting, go, go. And I knew in that instant, in that instant, what everyone had been telling me for three months, and that was, I'm an idiot, Right? So yes, so God prompted me to realize I'm an idiot, and, but I also knew that I had to go see my high school sweetheart, and, and it was undeniable, unprovoked call to action, and I had to do it, and, and I got up, got dressed, uh, went upstairs. Uh, my, my room was in the basement, and my uncle who raised me, uh, he's like my father, um, he was still up, and I said, I got to go see her, and he said, go, it's about time, right, And he's thinking I'm going five minutes away because she lives five minutes down the road. It just so happened that that night, she's three hours away. So at midnight, I head out and I have to. And so I drive three hours, I get there about 3.30, I'm banging on the door, scaring her to death. And we stay up the rest of the night talking and she took me back. And uh, we've been together for 24 years, right? (laughs) High school sweetheart. But, you know, you hear that, you might think, well, oh, that's a young love. You know, she, she brought me across the finish line to Christ. She's foundational in my life. And so that prompting, we can't ignore those, right? You have to make room for God in those moments. And, and, and that's why I tell you, if you've got a good routine, share it. If you don't, make time for God, okay? Because we need to be rescued from ourselves. And so continuing on in this rescued series, I told you I wanted us to, to land at the burial, okay? So I want us to talk about um, Jesus in the tomb and, and what that means for us, okay? And, and understand uh, that, you know, what we're talking about is not everything leading up to it. So I want to I pick up at Mark 15, 42 through 46. And so this is... This is after Jesus took his last breath on the cross, after he said, it is finished, after the sky went dark, the veil was torn, earthquake, and everything else, that Jesus is now dead. Okay? And what it tells us in Mark 15, it says, it was preparation day. That is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock, and then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Now, a lot of times when I'm reading the Bible, and I think I'm just reading history, and so I skip over it, but what I want to do now is I want us to go back and go back over that and unpack that, and I want us to think about, like, can you see it? Can you see what's happening, okay? Because here, here's what this is telling us. It starts out by telling us it was preparation day, okay? Preparation day is, is the day before the Sabbath, At that time, the Sabbath started at sundown on Friday, okay? And we also know because it got Jesus into a lot of trouble over the course of his life that you can't do anything on Sabbath. You can't heal someone. You can't create anything. You can't work. You can't do anything on Sabbath. And you certainly can't bury someone on Sabbath, So it was preparation day. We also know that Jesus died. He breathed his last breath at 3 p.m., at 3 p.m. So just a few hours before sundown, a few hours before Sabbath. We also know that his disciples had scattered at that time. The only only ones who remained were Mary and Mary sobbing at his feet at the cross. So there was no one there to claim Jesus' body. And just a few hours before the Sabbath, there was really two, one of two things that would have happened to Jesus' body. The first, and, and probably most likely, is that the Romans would have left his body on the cross. That means from his death Friday at 3 p.m., it would have stayed on the cross Friday, all day Saturday, until at a minimum Sunday at sunrise. It would have been open to the elements, to the birds. And the Romans did this because it was a warning to the Jews. That's what they would do. The other alternative is that the Romans would take Jesus' body down and they would carry it to Gehenna, which was Jerusalem's garbage dump. And they would discard his body like a piece of trash and then set fire to it because they burned their trash. Those were the two likely outcomes for Jesus' body. But that's not what happened. Instead, the Bible tells us that Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent councilman, stepped forward and went to Pilate to claim the body of Jesus. Why would he do that? Well, he risked his status, his wealth, his life, probably the lives of his family as well, because he was now a believer. He converted to being a follower of Jesus after witnessing what had happened to him. And so he confidently, but also hastily, remember, we're only talking about mere hours to to perform this burial ceremony. And so he rushes and he goes to Pilate. Pilate makes him wait, calls for a centurion. The centurion comes and confirms that Jesus died. Who's that centurion? Well, actually, we know from the Bible that centurion is the centurion who also converted upon seeing what Jesus did. And so you have the two first converts to Christianity who go and claim Jesus' body. But that's not it what it tells us is they have to then go they have to buy linen they have to go to jesus's body they have to take it down from the cross can you see it okay i mean jesus is on the cross he's been dead maybe a few hours now dried blood cold to the touch and joseph and and we know that nicodemus joined him and they take down jesus's body they wrap it in linen cloth and then they start to carry his body, carry. They're carrying his body to this newly cut tomb intended for Joseph's family. And they take it there, and they had also bought 75 pounds of aloes, myrrh, and spices. Why? To preserve the body, to protect the smell. And that was the custom. And so they wrapped Jesus in these 75 pounds of spices, aloes, and myrrhs, and then they laid him gently in the tomb, and they put a rock over. And why'd they put the rock over? Actually, I mean, it, uh, it tells us, in, uh, when talking about the story of Lazarus, part of it is to protect from the smell, that they would cover the cave with a to- or with a stone. Now, we know that's not the end of the story, right? We know that Three days go by, and that stone's rolled away, right? And we know that Jesus rises. Now, I got to tell you, come back next week, (laughs) because that's what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about the risen king next week. We're going to celebrate Easter next week and the resurrection. But today, in this series, I want us to stay there. I want us to stay there at the tomb, because Jesus laid down for the last time for three days, And have you ever wondered why three days? Why did Jesus lay down for three days? Well, I want to tell you that it took God six days to create the world, to create everything, right? He rested on the seventh day. It took three days to transform the world, to change everything. That's what those three days are. But there's also three reasons, three reasons that it took three days. Okay, so I want us to unpack that as well. So, the first reason is very simple. It's just like why Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. To fulfill prophecy. Okay, to fulfill prophecy. 700 years before Jesus walked the earth, prophet Isaiah, he wrote, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Jesus never professed his innocence once he was arrested. He was led like a lamb to slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? His disciples had scattered. For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people, he was punished. And listen to this seven hundred years before Jesus says, he was assigned a grave with the wicked. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. He hung on the cross with criminals, and his likely intended fate was to be discarded like the wicked of his time. And then it says, He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but with the rich in his death. So he was intended for the wicked, but Joseph of Arimathea stepped up and gave him a tomb from the wealthy family. 700 years before Jesus' life. And then, it go, and then Hosea, Hosea, again, 700 years before Jesus walked. He says, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. The Hebrew for restore us it, was, it means to make alive, to bring back to life, to resurrect. And, and, and the, the teachers of the time knew that. It was resurrection. And so he, he laid in the tomb to fulfill prophecy. The second reason he laid in the tomb, he laid in the tomb to fulfill his word and to keep his word. Okay? Jesus never lied. Jesus was perfect without sin and he told the disciples on three separate occasions exactly what would happen. The last time, in Mark ten thirty four, he says, We are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be de- delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Okay? Side note, we're talking about why three days, But also, you know, one of the things I always wonder is is where was Jesus in this time? Where was Jesus over these three days? We know that his body remained in the tomb, but where was his spirit? Well, Jesus told us in Luke 23, when Jesus is on the cross with two criminals, okay? One criminal starts to taunt him, humiliate him, and the other criminal rebukes that criminal. And he says... This man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And then he, tell, he asks Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answers him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So where was Jesus? He was reunited with the Father. He was in heaven transforming the world in those three days. And that leads me to the last point. And, and I really, I, I want you to, man, if you remember nothing else about today, remember this last point. Because the, the third reason that Jesus laid in the tomb for those three days was to bring us grace. And don't skip over that. Grace is, is the opposite of what we deserve It's the opposite of what you deserve, just like Jesus received the opposite of what he deserved. Jesus lived a blameless life, a life free from sin. He healed the sick and dying. He restored sight. He restored uh, people from physical infirmities. He cast out demons. He resurrected the dead. But he got the opposite of what he deserved. He was arrested, he was tortured. He was humiliated, he was mutilated, and he was murdered. All so that we could get the opposite of what we deserve. And I really want you to hear that. I really want you to believe it because that's not what the world tells us. The world tells us that we're not enough, that there's something wrong with us, that we're broken, we're irredeemable, right? I'll be honest. Just personally, uh, you know, my parents were married, they had three kids. Uh, My mother uh, was a high school dropout, worked a minimum wage job as a cashier. My father was a stereotypical Vietnam veteran who was disabled and a drug addict. And they got divorced, then they got back together, then they separated, got back together, and two years after they divorced, I was born. And. My mom ended up on her own, raising three kids, and the world will tell me that I'm a mistake, that I'm an accident, dare I say it, that I'm an abortion, I should have never existed. But my God, my God tells me that I'm worth more than gold. My God tells me that I'm a masterpiece. My God, our God, says you are perfectly imperfect, right? Right? And he says, with Jesus, with grace, with the transformation of the world, that when you know Jesus and when Jesus knows you and you accept grace into your life, it's done, it's finished, it's over. You are enough. It's not your fault. Past, present, future, it's done. It's over with. I really need you to hear that because because so often the world beats us down it beats us down and it tells us there's something wrong with us. I gotta get fixed. No. You are perfectly imperfect. God loves you. You are enough. Believe it. Realize it. Accept it. It's free. In Ephesians, Paul tells us, for by grace you have been saved through faith and it is not, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's free. Just take it just take it. Now we're going into Easter and next week is going to be another celebration, but I know that you know somebody in your life who needs to know it's not their fault. It's not their fault. They are enough. They are not a mistake. They are not an accident. They are not broken. They are perfectly imperfect. They are God's masterpiece. They are God's plan A. There is no plan B because you have purpose. You have meaning. You have to believe that and you have to, if you're, if you're still breathing, you got to tell others. So please invite some folks back next week to tell them this message that they have grace and they have to do nothing for it. Hey, let's pray. Father God, we love you. And we thank you so much for everything you've done for us. God, some of us, uh, we struggle to make time for you. We get caught up in the world and, and we're going it alone. We think we can control it. We think we can handle it. God if, boy, if some of you have been feeling that way and, and you know you can't do it alone anymore, just pray with me and just pray, God. I need you. God, I've been trying to go it alone and I can't do it. I need you in my life, and I I accept your son into my life. I accept the grace, the gift that you've given me. Father, just present me with opportunities to serve you more, to share with others. Father, I pray that that as we go out, that we feel your presence that we know your love and that you help us to live our lives according to your will so that we hear your prompt and we act. Father, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank Thank you you so much, Steve. Welcome back, man. Welcome back.